Hello and welcome to the first in our podcast series on Research Made Simple. I'm Laura Green, one of the Associate Editors at Evidence-Based Nursing, and today I have with me Dr. Sarah Campbell, who is a Research Associate in the Dementia and Ageing Research Team at the University of Manchester. Welcome, Sarah. Hi, thank you for having me. Sarah's joined us to talk about her doctoral research and the research approach that she took to the study. So my first question, Sarah, is please could you describe simply what ethnography is and what kinds of research questions it's particularly useful for exploring and answering? Yeah, well, ethnography is a type of qualitative research methodology. It's, um, it was traditionally, it's been traditionally used in sociology and anthropology. And one of the reasons that it's, uh, interesting methodology is the way that it can enable the researcher to become immersed in the world that they're researching. So of the, the participants' world in which they want to find out more about. It's interested in everyday life and the kind of processes and practices of how people live their everyday lives. And it also, um, it's a flexible methodology in that it allows you to use different kinds of methods for collecting your data within the, the methodology. And I suppose the kinds of questions that it's useful for answering and exploring are about trying to understand people's experiences of particular um, environments or particular, um, well, for, for example, my research was about the everyday experiences of men living in dementia care organisations. And so it was, it's, it's very good for thinking about the kinds of um, multidimensional aspects of everyday life. So it's good at finding out about place, good about finding out about those kinds of experiences that people have in their everyday lives. So you've mentioned your study. Um, how, um, how did you um, decide that ethnography was going to be the best research method to answer that particular question? Yeah. And, and maybe you could give us a little bit more detail about what, what you actually did and what your sort of day-to-day experiences were like. Yeah, sure. Well, I wanted to find out what it was like for these men to live in the care organisations where they were situated. So I, I was exploring the experiences of men living with dementia in a number of different kinds of residential and hospital wards. So um, a couple of care homes and also one inpatient ward, specialist dementia unit. And so because I was interested in the kinds of relationships that pe- the men had there, I was interested in what they did. How did they spend their time during the day? And ethnography allowed me to um, immerse myself, be alongside the men and see what they did from when they got up in the morning, how where they went and sat, how they um, joined in activities, the people that they had relationships with during the day, how they interacted with the staff. So it enabled me to have this very sort of um, deep kind of engagement with them and be kind of immersed with them in what it was like for them being there. Obviously, I I wasn't a man living with dementia. I couldn't experience it in the same way as them, but it enabled me to kind of get a sense of what it might be like. And in particular, I've been interested in sensory ethnography, although I didn't do just a sensory ethnography ethnography but that allows you to think about all the kinds of um, 
aspects of the day, the, the environment. So the kind of how does it sound there? What did it sound like to the men? What did it smell like? Or what was it like when meal times were happening? And how what the clutter of kind of plates and the setting up of the dining room? How was that experienced? And what happened to the men at that time? So it gave me a chance to see that kind of sensory um, and multi-dimensional aspect of sort of life really in those environments. What, what does it feel like to live here? Yeah, it sounds like it enabled you to get very deeply into an experience that would otherwise be quite inaccessible to us to yes. research. How else would we be able to find out what it's like yeah. to, to live in that, in that world? Absolutely. And actually, uh, that's really, I think, a key thing as well is that although I did do interviews and I did talk to people, and I'll go through some of the different methods that I used to collect the data as well as observation, but what people tell you sometimes that they do can be quite different to what they do actually do in the environment. So having observation alongside interviews enables you to have those kind of both aspects of what people think it is that they do, but then what they actually do in practice. Can you give an example? Yeah, um, well, for example, I, I observe sometimes men being um, shaved or having their hair done, um, seeing the hairdresser in the care-based um, environment that they were in. But actually, sometimes hairdressers would tell me that they did things in a different order to what they did, or they might describe how it would be under ideal circumstances, but actually the reality could sometimes be quite different. So they might say, oh, yes, they turned the television off and they were able to talk to the person directly, but quite often that wouldn't be what would happen. And so it gave me a chance to see how they have to, the hairdressers will sort of manage within these um sort of makeshift salons that they would set up in the day room and that they would be battling with kind of other sounds and other activities going on while trying to uh, carry out the barber, the cutting of the hair. So you mentioned that you did some interviews and some observations. Were were there any other kinds of ways that you collected data? As well as um, doing observations, so I had seven um, male participants, men participants as part of my study, but um, I did the data collection. So one of the things I think about ethnography is you have to think about the time frame that you have. And it's not to say that you can't do some kind of short, focused ethnographies if you've only got a small amount of time. But I spent over around 10 months carrying out my ethnographic work. So I, I went to three different settings. So I spent sort of two months three months and two months around that, maybe and a, and a month getting to know all of the sites. And so this meant that I collected something like um, 165 hours of observation data with the men. So quite a substantial amount of data that you end up with. But as well as observing, I would have informal conversations with the men during the day. I would chat to them. And so that would all be recorded. That would all be part of what I would call my data. So um, and then, yes, I did interviews. I did interviews with staff interviews with some of the men living with dementia and also with family carers as well. Great, thank you. What do you think was particularly rewarding or challenging about carrying out this study? High and low points? Yeah, Um, I think what's rewarding is that you really feel like you get to uh, be 
deeply connected to the people that you're engaged with um, as participants. So you really feel like you're, you, you know, you are immersed in their everyday lives for that period of time that you're working with them. Um, and, you know, you do get an amazing amount of rich data. You get um, things that you wouldn't necessarily have expected to get. I remember prior to beginning the ethnographic work, um, a dementia scholar whose work influenced my work a great deal, somebody who I really respect. I remember she said to me, you know, just write down absolutely everything you can, even the smallest of details, even if they don't seem important. And um, and that's the thing, you never really know until you're going back through your ethnographic field notes quite what you've got and quite what direction it might take you in. So that, I think, is a definite high. I, I think a, a sort of challenge for doing ethnographic work is that it can be sort of quite have quite a lot of emotional labor attached to it. It can be quite sort of that the relationships that you need to develop with people, you've got to keep people on board. And, um, and sometimes, you know, that could be quite challenging. And especially if you're in an environment where you're observing staff and you're observing participants, you know, staff might feel a bit uncomfortable about being observed. And so how do you kind of get them on board and, get them to think about um, that you're not really watching everything they do in a critical way necessarily, but you're just trying to understand what it's like for them in the, the work that they do. So I think the relationships can be tricky. I suppose you end up with a lot of data, so you've got to have time to do that data analysis. Um, and also, I think there's a complexity for it. In terms of getting sort of ethical um, permissions to do data collection, to do ethnographic work, you've got to think about who you have permission to observe and who you have permission to write about. And so in the broadest sense, you might be observing lots of things that are happening, but maybe not everybody is actually a participant in your study. So you have to be very careful about that when you come to um, analysing and writing up and thinking about your data. Did you find it difficult to get ethics approval for the study? Um, one of the things with our study is, uh, with my study, and actually my study, my doctoral work was within a wider study. Um, so I was collecting data whilst also working as a researcher on another study. And um, we were using, as well as um, participant observation, we were also using vi- visual um, ethnography doing visual ethnographic work. So we were using videos to collect data as well, particularly in the hair salons, um, where we were interested in the the role of care-based hairdressers. And yes, that was quite difficult to get through ethics. They were quite concerned about, um, well, people, what we were going to do with people's images, how we would protect anonymity for people who didn't want to be involved. So we had to think about all those kinds of aspects of um, the data and what we would do with it afterwards. Do you think um, the findings of ethnographies can be used to change practice? I'm thinking particularly about nursing practice, but you might want to comment on on other professional Mm. groups. Um, Particularly, um, if, if people aren't that used to reading and critiquing research, do you still think that ethnographies have a role in changing how we are day to day? Mm. And you might want to talk about your own Mm. study, like what do you think nurses can learn from what you found out? Yeah, I mean, I I definitely do. I think ethnography has an amazing role to play. And I think that's because although we might not be able to generalise from that kind of data, 
actually people really connect to narratives. They really connect to stories about people. And, um, and that's, you know, everybody can understand if you're saying, um, this is what happened to Harry, you know, his experience is this and this is how it felt to him. And, um, in my own work, I think that, um, what it's been able to do is to think, um, I've been particularly interested in gender. So because for men living with dementia, there are fewer men in um, care homes. There are sometimes more men on um, inpatient wards, inpatient units, and the majority of staff are female. So what are those kind of gendered relationships that happen? And we can learn so much from the ethnographic work and about those relationships and the sort of in-depth nature of what happens between people and I don't know that you would get that richness from lots of other kinds of methodologies. Um, Also for my work I've been interested in the sort of holistic approach to environment and design and so that where people live it's not just the material the sort of building and the furniture that's there but it's how does that and the relationships and the kind of sensory atmospheres, how does all of that have an impact on how people um, experience their everyday life um, in these care environments? And so I think that you can really grasp that through the narrative and through the storytelling. And I think nurses would really recognize that they'll, they will know what those environments feel like and so I think ethnography can give them that recognition and um, understanding about those environments they 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 know them fantastic if you were to give one key message um, for listeners to take away with them um, about ethnography or about your study what what do you what do you think it would be um I think really it is about this richness of ethnography. I think that um, I can't sort of express enough how the detail and the immersion in kind of those everyday environments that people are working in, having all kinds of um, health interventions in or social care environments, what it feels like. So being able to create narratives to share experiences, these can have a real impact on people. They can become engaged in those narratives. And I think that that is um, a crucial and really worthy aspect, I suppose, of doing ethnography. Thank you. Thank you. I'd like to thank you, Sarah, very much for your time. Um, And we'll post this podcast with some links to Sarah's current work um, and also some information about ethnography and some, uh, some details about the method itself. And thank you for listening. Thank you.